It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Justin, first off, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it, it's uh, it's pretty cool that um, the last podcast we did, it was your birthday. And the next one we did was mine. That's kind of a, a neat thing. It wasn't planned at all. It actually was. <laughs> <laughs> mine just happened to fall on a day that we record normally. But <laughs> You just got back from a little hunt. How was I that? did. Yeah. So um, I went on what was a ten, an, initially supposed to be an eight-day moose slash bear hunt. Um, it turned into a five-day looking at a hillside. We saw a lot of uh, moose. We didn't see a single bear. Um, you know, it was really good because I have intentions of doing a, a pretty long um, backpacking um, slash hunting trip. And it was a really good time because we weren't really far from our vehicle, about three or four miles from our vehicle. So it was a good time to really kind of test gear and get uh, get an idea for what I really need. So um, I was completely unprepared for what I thought I was good but yeah, it was a blast. I haven't, I hadn't done a five day, um, pack out like that in a while. So, um, you know, backpacking, I know our guest today is going to talk about backpacking, but backpacking and hunting is a little bit different in the fact that the gear that you need and you carry, and I, I don't know much about backpacking and I don't know much about hunting either, but our packs, I believe are, they are way different. Um, the gear we carry is different. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, I carry a a weapon as well. So that adds, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. five to 10 pounds of, of weight, but the, the gear we carry is different. And so I think that my pack was probably around a 60 pound pack, which for most backpackers would be like, oh my gosh, that's insanely heavy. But, um, I had probably not enough gear. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I got uh, another year because snow is, it actually snowed on us on the mountain. So I got another year to kind of get some gear together and prep for, for next season. But yeah, I think uh, I'm going to give it another shot next season and see if I can't go get a bear. It'd be really fun. Kind of like a training run. You got everything uh, shook out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's a good analogy. It was definitely a shakeout run, which is, it's kind of funny. We, you know, we, my partner and I that were out there hunting together, um, he's an ultra runner as well. So we were kind of, you know, throwing it together and the differences and um, the similarities and actually doing mountain style hunting versus ultra running is is real similar because it it takes a, a mental fatigue on you, whether, you know, you're running 70, 80 miles into a hundred mile race or you're five, six days into or 10 days into a backpacking hunting trip. And you know, you're, you're tired, your feet are wet, you're cold. It's, you know, there's a lot of similarities there and you have to be mentally strong. So it it was actually, it's really cool to see how my mental toughness, I guess, from running ultras has carried over and spilled over into backpack hunting. It's kind of cool to, to, to see the differences there, which is, (laughs) is, is wild to me, but yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. I was, um, I was kind of impressed by that. Like, Normally I would be sitting there and I'm just like, my feet are cold. Let's leave. I'm done. But you know, I was able to <laughs> to stick it out. So I will tell you right now that leather has a saturation rate. It definitely does. So 
it rained on us uh and snowed on us really heavily the first day and it just it soaked through my boots and yeah oh. you, once your boots are wet they're wet you know we we started yeah. a fire and we we had a fire but it let leather takes so long to dry so you know there's um uh, there's a thing is waterproof socks so that's definitely gonna be my pack from here on out <laughs> <laughs> yep. so all righty i'm glad we'll glad you got a little shake out get to do a podcast on your birthday yeah yeah and then uh you know going to do a little race this next weekend so it'd be fun heck yeah <laughs> so today's special guest we can't always uh go without a podcast without saying our special guests <laughs> they're all special today's <laughs> they are all special today's guest is julie miller she is an avid hiker she is the other half of through the <laughs> through the glass recovery podcast <laughs> i'm having trouble talking today for some reason she is a recovery coach welcome to the show julie thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here and talk with you guys we're uh, excited to hear your story. So why don't we uh, start off where they're like, tell us about yourself, your background, you know, where you live, how you grew up, all that fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am 41 years old, um, married. I have two kids, 16 and 20. Um, so one of them still lives at home and I homeschool. I have homeschooled both. I homeschooled both of them all the way through. So we have two years left. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I live on kind of a small farm in Colorado. So we have horses and cows and goats and chickens and ducks and dogs and I don't know, sometimes some turkeys, but anyway, it, it definitely keeps us busy. So that's kind of um, where where I live a little bit about me. Um, I will say I did not grow up outdoorsy at all. I was like the indoorsiest kid you'd ever met. Like my dad tried to take me fishing and I would just pout and sit in the car because I hated being outside so much. <laughs> um, I don't think I made it very much fun for him. But um, and like I my parents like would take us. I feel like I'm the same way on fishing trips. I, I can't stand fishing. I just, I just sit there and pout the whole time. <laughs> to be fair, I still don't like fishing. But um, but I hated like I hated the dirt. I hated the bugs. I hated everything outdoorsy. Um, my parents would take us like camping, but we had a big, you know, travel trailer. And so it was basically just you you take the indoors to a campground and then you sit indoors in a campground instead of at home. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up with like no outdoors experience. Um, my first backpacking trip was when I was 35 or 36, I think. So I really haven't even been backpacking all that long. I took up hiking with a friend. Um, just to get out and do stuff. And it turned out I loved it more than I thought I was going to. It was kind of one of those, like, do you want to go hiking? And I was like, eh, fine. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, and my husband and I hiked some too. And it turns out I really enjoyed it once I got older. The bugs and the dirt weren't such a problem for me um, once I grew up. So, um, but yeah, I did not start backpacking until I was 35. I feel like um, I, I should preface this with like, I'm not some crazy badass. Like you guys are ultra runners and you have guests on here who have done like crazy, amazing things. And I'm like, I hike um, slowly. <laughs> so that's, that's I'm like, ultra running too. <laughs> I'm like, I am. Yeah. I'm just, I'm such a like normal, I'm not in great shape. I mean, I, I never lost my baby weight and my, my youngest is 16. So um, just to kind of like give you an idea of who I am, um, I am not super athletic by any means. 
Um, but yeah, that's, I guess, where my, my backpacking story started. I would do like four and five day overnights. We'd try to do one or two a summer, you know? Um, and I started out with really crappy cheap gear and got, you know, a little bit better when I could afford it here and there over the course of a few years. Um, I'm still not an ultralighter by any means. I don't have that much money. Um, but stuff yeah. is expensive. It is crazy. Yeah. And like, I have kids, I, I have teenagers, right? Like they're expensive <laughs> too. So they come first. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of, I guess that's my back background. Is that what you wanted to hear? Yeah. Perfect. So you have done a couple segment hikes on the Colorado trail. Right. Yeah. So um, I am not a through hiker. I so badly wanted to be a through hiker and I wanted to be able to be cool and feel amazing and tell people I was a through hiker. And like my reality at some point I had to just accept is I'm a section hiker. I'm really <laughs> good at like 150 to 200 miles. That's about what I need. And after that, I'm kind of miserable. That's still um, a long ways. 200 miles is a long ways. It is still a long walk. Yes, it, for sure. Um, but that was like one of the things I had to just accept about myself. Like, this is my truth. I am not going to be a through hiker. Um, so, yeah, I've done three section hikes now. Good, you know, good sized section hikes of the Colorado Trail now. Why don't you tell how long us about... is there? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, Justin. I was just going to say, how long is the Colorado Trail? It is just about 500 miles. It did, okay. There's two, there's a split at one part of the, the Colorado Trail where you can choose to take the East Collegiate or the West Collegiate. And depending on which one you take, it's like between 484 and, and 500 miles. Oh, okay. So, hmm. yeah. So what was the, which way did you go on the Colorado Trail? And when was your first uh, go at it? Um, yeah, so my first go at it was 2020, 2021, would have been 2021. So um, I feel like my, my whole distance hiker story, it's like part hiker or part hiking story and part addiction recovery story and like kind of part dog story too. Um, so the dog part is important. I'll start there. Um, I adopted an Australian shepherd. She was a rescue dog. I adopted her from this horrible man who beat her. He was just a drunk. Um, he, he really just did a number on this poor little dog. So she was two when I ended up with her and she was my very best friend. So I very much saved her. Um, and she was the best, like she was my heart dog, you know, she was the one. Um, and she was my very, very best friend. We did everything together. Like, you know, when your kids are getting older and you realize they're going to move out soon, you get a dog because at least they're like really happy to see you when you got home and you know, you're going to be like really lonely soon. So like she was, she was that dog for me. Right. Um, so anyway, we spent two amazing years together. I finally had her to the point where like I could take her hiking and she didn't bark and growl at people. She wasn't afraid of everybody. She could just walk and, and have fun. And I mean, I put so much effort into really trying to show her what a good life could look like. Um, and then kind of out of the blue, very much out of the blue, um, my neighbor shot her. Um, so my life came crashing down at that point and um this was all this like 
the February before I started distance hiking. Um, so, and then a another little bit of background that I guess is also an important part of my story is um, I'm very much an alcoholic. So I quit drinking in 2019 and I quit for almost a year and a half. Um, and I did it completely alone. It was the most horrible, saddest, loneliest experience. Um, and I lasted a year and a half before I drank again. So I relapsed and I managed to kind of like, I convinced myself I could drink like a normal person, right? Which when you're addicted to alcohol, you really just can't. But um, I tried and I, I did a pretty good job for like six months of moderating and, and drinking, you know, setting rules for myself. I can only drink this much and only drink on Friday nights. And then it got to like, I can only drink, you know, two drinks a night. And I don't know, I was, is but I tried really hard to moderate. I was six months into moderating when Hope was shot. Um, yeah, my dog's name is Hope. That's also another important part of it. But anyway, she was shot and I went off the rails. And for six months, all I did was drink. Um, I was drinking whiskey at eight o'clock in the morning and I would just drink all day long every day. So I've got two teenagers that I'm homeschooling and I'm drunk pretty much full time. Nobody knew, um, but my life was falling apart. I was, um, I really mostly just wanted to die. I had no idea how to deal with losing anything, anyone. Um, I'd never really dealt with grief in my life and alcohol was my answer. So anyway, that's kind of the backstory, which kind of gets us into the first little bit of my hike. Um, so I was half drunk one morning scrolling Facebook probably a month or two after Hope was shot. And I saw this gorgeous picture of this mountain pass in Colorado. Um, and I was like, I want to hike that. That is beautiful, you know. And then I look a little bit more and it's called Hope Pass. Um and since I know I have goosebumps, I'm going to try really hard not to cry. Anyway, um, so I had never heard of Hope Pass, but when I saw that, I was like, I have to hike Hope Pass. And then I read a little bit more about it, and it turns out it was part of the Colorado Trail. And so I decided that was my goal, was to eventually hike the whole Colorado Trail. Um, so I started out just doing a little hundred mile shakedown. Shakedowns are important, right, Justin? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> a, a little, a little hundred mile. <laughs> I knew I could do like, I, I'd hiked up to like 40 miles before, right? Like, so my, my friend and I, we'd, we'd done little 40 mile, you know, three to five day trips or whatever. And, um, and so I knew I could do that, but I, I wanted to get a feel for it before. So to give really to on. give some perspective, how long does a hundred mile hike take? Um, it took me, I want to say it was like eleven or twelve days. Okay. Um, is that right? Maybe might have been <laughs> up to two weeks, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, I'm not a fast hiker, and I'm not one of those amazing people that can lay down like. 25 or 30 miles a day so but I think I think it was like between 12 and 14 days okay um so I had one resupply there was there's a town there that I just took some stuff to I like I took a box too so I could walk into town and get a box to resupply so I had food for the rest of it um but yeah um so anyway, that's that's what I decided to do. So this friend that I, I've mentioned a couple of times, she's like the one that started me on backpacking, right? We just decided one day we wanted to try backpacking. Um, so we went out and bought backpacks and started walking around in the mountains. Um, and she has been with me on every single backpacking trip that I've ever done. So I was like, I really want to hike this 100 mile hike. 
will you go with me? And she's like, yeah, I suppose. And she's not nearly as excited about this. And she's like, I am not going to be a through hiker. I don't want to be a distance hiker. I'm like, okay, well, but it's only like a hundred miles. You can do a hundred miles. Right. Um, so we leave we left in the evening. So we only hiked like three or four miles in and then, um, set up camp and, and then our first real day, we got like seven miles by lunchtime and she's like starting to fall apart and like she's just griping and complaining and she's miserable and her head hurts and she doesn't feel good and she just kind of lost it and um she was like I don't think I can do this and she was it was just like it was it was rough. She was not in a good headspace. I mean, you guys know what, what kind of headspace you need to be in, right. To do anything big. And she was not there. So on day one, when we hit a highway where we had cell phone service, she called her daughter and had her come pick her up. And from then on, I was on my own. Um, so I had never hiked alone before. I'd never hiked alone, let alone backpacked alone. Right. Um, and, I was kind of on the side of the highway. I waited with her for her daughter to come. And then I was on the sideway and at the side of the highway. And I'm like, I guess this is where I'm putting my tent for tonight. It was like 1030 at night. So I set up there. And that was when I learned how to hike and backpack alone. What kept you from not going with her? I wanted it too bad. I mean, at that point, my choices were either quit and give up or keep going and I had put too much planning. I had too many hopes and dreams and, and all of that in there. There was no way I was going to give up. Like, I didn't know if I would make it to make it the hundred miles or not, but I didn't want to not try. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. What, what section were you on? Of the So I was actually on the East Collegiate. Okay. I hiked the East Collegiate um, for my, my little shakedown hike. And then my plan was when I did the full Colorado trail the next year to hike the whole thing and do the West Collegiate. Okay. Um, so Hope Pass is on the West Collegiate. Um, so I knew it was I wasn't going to get there until the next year. Um, but yeah, so so I was on my own. I was <laughs> the thing that scared me the most about hiking alone was being alone with like my own thoughts for that long, because I had never experienced it before, and inside my head was not a happy and friendly place to be. At that point, I was still drinking, right, a lot. Um, and I had recently wrecked my car, drunk. Um, I was on the verge of destroying all of the relationships in my life. And it was like a month later that I left to go for this hike. I almost didn't go, but I kind of felt like I probably needed to. And it was an absolute blessing that I decided to go for it. Um, but being alone in my head with my own thoughts was terrifying to me because it is very quiet out there on that trail. I mean, you run into people, right. But not, you're not usually hiking with anyone if you're not there with them. So that was an experience. That was something that I had to get used to. Um, but yeah. And then people are always like, aren't you afraid of bears and mountain lions and whatever? And Honestly, that part didn't scare me that much. I, I thought it would scare me more, but once I fell asleep at night, I slept fine. Um, <laughs> so it didn't really keep me awake or anything. Um, so yeah, it didn't spook me, but I realized I love hiking alone. I really 
love hiking alone. I learned how to make peace with my thoughts. <laughs> um, and I learned, like, I'm a mom, right? My whole life revolves around catering to everybody else and making sure everybody else is happy. And when you're hiking alone, when you're backpacking alone, like you, you're only catering to yourself. So when I like the first, the, the second night, the first night I was just stuck on the highway camping the second night, like I get to a point and I'm like, this is a really nice place to camp. There's nobody here to ask what their opinion is of it. Like I was so used to being like, you know, what do you think? Should we camp here? And I had to like make a decision for myself only based on what I wanted. And that's, that was a foreign experience to me. That wasn't something I'd ever done before. Um, so it was really cool. It was really, I don't know. It was just very freeing to only be responsible for myself and what I wanted to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially, you know, a lot of, some of our listeners may know, but Colorado Trail is no, not no easy trail. <laughs> You're at altitude most of the time. Colorado is famous for its afternoon thunderstorms. Uh, sometimes water can be difficult to find on the trail fresh water yeah. that you can drink that hasn't been walked through and pooped in from all those other animals. <laughs> can I just tell you, I have a video of me filtering water out of a cow trough because that was the cleanest water for like 25 miles. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what section was that on? Oh gosh. I don't remember like 22, 23, somewhere in there. It was like through the um, Coach Topa flats. You're just road walking for like, 40 miles or something it's just it's so long and flat and boring um and yeah there's cows everywhere and there's no water and then at some point I don't know there was a cow trough way off and that I had to hike like a quarter of a mile off the trail to get to the cow trough um but I was willing to do that because I needed water and it was relatively clean <laughs> cows aren't pooping in the cow trough right they're pooping <laughs> in the creeks <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good thing that they can't get in the cow trough <laughs> Right. So you finished that 100-mile hike? I did. So I did that 100-mile section. Um, and my friend picked me up and took me back to my car. Interestingly, I walked into the Monarch Crest gift shop, bought a six-pack, and downed it on my way home. Um, like, I hadn't had much to drink the whole – there was one restaurant that I stopped at partway through my my hike – where I had a couple of beers, but I mean, I knew I couldn't drink that much because I had to keep walking. And the minute I got off the trail, I bought a six pack and I got drunk. Um, so I will say hiking does not cure alcoholism in case you wondered. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the first chunk of my hike. Um, and then I came home and I was still sad and I was still in like a lot of emotional mental anguish and pain and so I kept drinking and I actually um that was like the middle of August that I got home and um two and a half weeks later I actually quit completely for good I haven't had a drink since then um but and and I think that hiking helped spending that much time trying to understand myself and work through a lot of my pain and all of that, it helped for sure. It put me on the right track, but it still took another like two and a half or three weeks before I managed to completely quit. What did you learn about yourself during that first hundred mile hike? More than anything, I think what I learned about myself is that I'm capable of a lot 
more than I thought. I completely underestimated how hard it was going to be. It's the East Collegiate, right? So th there's the East Collegiate and the West Collegiate. The West Collegiate is supposed to be the hard one. So I did the East Collegiate thinking it would be easy, and it's not easy. There's nothing easy about that, um, especially when you're a middle-aged stay-at-home mom hauling not very high-quality gear straight up the side of the mountain. <laughs> um, and I did it alone, and I I don't know. I I gained a lot of confidence in myself that I could probably do anything if I set my mind to it. Um, and I actually bought myself a bracelet at the end of that hike. It's just, it's like this little, I don't know, like one of those cheesy tourist shop bracelets, right? Um, that says like a adventure awaits or something. Um, it's super cliche, but I bought it with the idea of, you know, like I wanted that to remind me that I can do whatever I set my mind to. I can do really hard things. And um, I still wear that bracelet almost every day. Um, yeah, it's a good reminder. Yeah, it is. I needed it. I I still need it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I needed it today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, after that hundred miles, you came back a couple of weeks later, you decided to go back into sobriety yeah. after your relapse. When did you start planning your next backpacking trip? Um, I knew as soon as I got off the trail that I was going to go back and I was, I wanted to do the whole thing, the whole Colorado trail. So, I mean, I really started, I don't know, like planning maybe March, April. Um, if there's a, another thing that I learned the first time around is that, um, you can't plan for a through hike. Like you can't plan that stuff down to detail. You think, you know, where you're going to want to camp that night, but you have no idea how you're actually going to feel that day and so you know where I thought I would end up camped and where I actually ended up camped and all of that it was completely off from where how I thought it was going to go so that was also actually a really important lesson when I when I sat down to plan my first shakedown hike I was like planning out every day down to the mile um the second time around, I knew I couldn't do that I just kind of estimated like this will take me give or take a week um and it was a much easier way to plan but anyway yeah so I, I would say like March April I started kind of looking at maps getting a feel for where I would be when um the other thing that I did differently the second time was I did not send boxes of food to myself I just decided that I would go into towns and get food um because again plans change you just kind of never know how it's going to go so the first time around I was like you know exactly where I was going to be and I mean I was like buying food and repackaging it like for the first one I'd buy food and I'd repackage it and I'd like really pay attention to the number of calories that I knew I needed each day and I packed the whole box it was like so detailed and down to like exactly the right number of calories and I don't eat the way that I should on a trail I learned that I can't force down 3,000 calories um on the first couple days of the long hike. So I just, I, I learned things. I learned good lessons to carry with me into the next one. So my planning for the whole trail was actually a lot more minimal. Um, I just, I, you know, I looked through maps. I familiarized myself with the trail, but um, I didn't do nearly as much planning. I did buy a couple new pieces of gear. I bought a better tent. Um, that that weighs a, a lot difference. less. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely. And it just it weighs a lot less. And it's super comfy. It's my favorite piece of gear that I have. Um, four season or 
it's no it's a big agnes i want to say it's probably a three season tent um but it's it's two person which means like it's totally unnecessarily large for me but i love my space i love sitting in my tent i like painting i like like it's just it's perfect so i love my tent and i bought that before i left um and yeah so that was I mean, that was basically all the preparing I did. I didn't do a lot. I knew kind of what towns I was going to stop in and get food at. So the following year you went, you went <clears throat> to go do it again. Yeah. How many miles did you plan for this second? I was planning on hiking the whole thing. I was going to do okay. all 500 miles. Um. So, I mean, I was, I was pretty well prepared for that. I had... Um, thankfully my kids are old enough. They can stay home alone. Um, I had my husband drop me off at Waterton Canyon, beginning of the trail in Denver. Um, and I had every intention of it taking six weeks and getting all the way to Durango. So that's what I thought I was going to do. That is the hike that I learned that I am not a through hiker on. <laughs> um, and yeah, but I don't know. It was, I mean, I started it out alone. I started it out in almost a year sober. So just in a very different place than the first hike. So run us through your your next hike. You're you know trying to do the whole thing. How did uh, how did going yeah. from Waterton Canyon to wherever you ended up? How'd that go? Um, so it it was amazing. It was good. It it was I enjoyed it a lot more. And I think the majority of the reason I enjoyed it more is because I was sober for almost a year at that point. Um, so I mean, I felt better physically and mentally and emotionally, and I was so much more present. Um, so I was just in a much better place when I left. But um it was, I mean, it's it's a gorgeous hike, right? Even the beginning, it's not that pretty in the beginning compared to the end. <laughs> no. It's not that pretty. But it's still, once you get past that, like, you know, the the shitty section of Waterton Canyon, you get up into the hills a little bit and it's still beautiful. Um, I found like the most perfect campsite right on this cliff the very first night I was out that just like, it just solidified in my mind, this is where I'm supposed to be. I think I hiked like 14 miles that day and it's a lot of uphill that first day. Um, and my body was not ready for it. Like as much as I tried to, train I say lightly um like my life doesn't leave a lot of room for training for things also I'm lazy so <laughs> um I had good intentions I was not very well trained um and so yeah even the first day I was like this is freaking hard I was like I was hiking you know 100 steps and then stopping and taking a breath my pack weighs I think when I first start out with a full load of food probably weighs close to 33 pounds um, which is pretty heavy by through hiker standards, but again, I like, I, I like my creature comforts. Um, so I'm willing to carry a heavier pack. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just a hike, right? Like every day is sort of the same, but sort of different. And it's hard to describe that to somebody. Um, like people are like, oh my gosh, tell me about your amazing adventure. And I'm like, I walked a really long way. <laughs> through mountains and through forests like there's not big adventure things that happen every day right it's the process it's just the process of putting one foot in front of the other that is fulfilling in itself there's not a lot to talk about in all of that right um were you gonna say something hmm. oh okay um <laughs> so anyway yeah i mean i hiked 
and I walked a really long way. So um, a couple of things that stand out to me about this hike. First was um, the people. So everybody tells you the people make the trail. The people you meet are the people that are really going to like have a huge effect on your experience on the trail. I, since I got sober, I've discovered I am an introvert. I really like my space. I do not really like a lot of people. And so I went into this trail thinking like, I am not, I, that might be true for other people. I am not a people person. So I'm going to be good if I just never have to talk to anyone. Um, the people really do make the trail. <laughs> um, I was not expecting that. But so one guy that comes to mind was I, I hitchhiked. I had to hitchhike um, from the trail into towns to get food and then hitchhike back up to the trail, which was an experience in itself. But um, what the guy that picked me up the very first time going back up to the trail he was so nice. His name was Julian. And he stopped and he was just this guy going fishing. And, you know, he's like, oh, well, yeah, it's like 10 miles further than I need to go, but I'll take you. No problem. He was so nice. He was older. Um, kind of like this long hair, you know, long gray hair, hippie dude. And um, so we got to talking. It was like, it was a good 40 minutes to the trailhead. So like we had time to chat. But anyway, I told him, you know, this was my, I, I was almost, a, I sell, almost celebrating a year sober. So it was kind of, that was a big deal. And I was also turning 40 that year. So I was telling him that. And so come to find out he was like 15 years sober. And <laughs> so we had the coolest conversation because as soon as you tell somebody that you're in recovery and they are also amazing conversations ensue, they just do every time. Um, and he, you know, told me part of his story and, and what that looked like and how far he had come and what life was like now. And, and I did the same, but we just, we had the neatest, most connected conversation for that 40 minutes. Like I'll never forget him and his kindness. And he was just like, I don't know, he was so encouraging and so, so wonderful. Um, so yeah, just really, really cool experience with him. Um, and then the other thing with hitchhiking, I was going to say, there, there's so many parallels to sobriety and hiking that just they constantly come up when you're hiking. And I mean, I guess probably because I'm sober. So I think about these things. But um, hitchhiking has this way of really humbling you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> By the time you're out there putting your thumb out for all of these tourists and they're, you know, driving down the road to like their Airbnbs, like you've been out on a trail for a week. You look homeless. I haven't showered, you know, like I was filthy and I was exhausted and I'm standing there, like standing there with my thumb out asking for a ride. And it is very humbling. Um, what I learned is it's hitchhiking, backpacking in general. It, it's like this equalizer, right? You get all these people out on that trail and by a weekend, we all look homeless and kind of feel homeless and probably smell bad. And we're all just trudging along, dealing with our own shit. And so, I mean, I met like, you know, this, this 19 year old kid that, um, I don't know. He, so I ended up I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce around stories here. It's going to be terrible. But um, <laughs> so I met this 19-year-old kid who I'm not going to mention his name, but he was amazing. And he was so full of life and so full of wisdom. And he was like, I just graduated high school last year. I'm tired of living my life the way my parents wanted me to live my life. So I'm going out and I'm going to adventure and I'm going to find myself and know myself and really love myself. And then I'm going to decide how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And I was like... I had figured that shit out when I was 
19 like him, I would have lived a much happier existence than I have. Probably wouldn't have ended up drunk for a decade. Um, but anyway, he was just so smart. And he, we were talking about books and we were talking about, um, he was talking about like the, the top five regrets of the dying. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that book. I still haven't read it, but um, he was telling me all about that. And then I kind of, you know, I told him about getting sober and this is a big part of my life and a big part of my hike. And then he ended up telling me all about his porn addiction. Um, we're talking like it's midnight in the middle of a forest in the dark and he's pouring his heart out to me. Um, because I'm safe. I'm a stranger. I'm never going to tell anybody. At least never talked about it before to a single person. Right. And it was just the coolest conversation to be that person that could just listen to him and hear him. Um, I didn't have that for a really long time. The first time I quit drinking, I didn't have anybody to talk to about how I felt and how ashamed I was um, and how lost I felt. And so to be able to be that person for him there in the woods, in the dark, um, was a really, really meaningful experience for me. And I don't know, it was like a, like a real connection happened. I never saw him again after he took off that morning, you know, um, but it was really, really special. So... Anyway, you get guys like him. And then this other guy that I met, again, I'm turning 40, right? Like on the trail. And I don't know how a few days before my 40th birthday, I meet this guy named Doc, who's 80 years old with a pacemaker, hiking the entire Colorado Trail. Um, And he said something. I was like, it is so nice to see you out here doing this. Um, Like, I'm 40 or I'm about to turn 40 and I'm really struggling with turning 40. Like, I feel like I'm getting old. And he's like, oh, honey, life starts when you turn 40. (laughs) I needed to hear that so bad by this, like, badass 80-year-old man. Turns out he's a a professor at Stanford or was a professor at Stanford, right? This guy is like so well educated and um and we had an, a, a couple of really great conversations too and really like super philosophical conversations. It was amazing. And anyway, going back to the whole hiking is the great equalizer, right? You might have this 19-year-old kid who's addicted to porn and just finding himself, and you might have this 80-year-old professor out there, and then you know, your middle-aged stay-at-home mom and all these other different people. When you get out there and you've been out on that trail for a week, nobody cares where you came from. It is it just completely, everybody's on the same exact playing field. We're all fighting the same battle. We're all, you know, on the same journey. And that's so much like alcohol because alcohol does not give a fuck who you are. And it doesn't care about your education or where you come from or what you've been through or not. Um, alcohol is like the great equalizer. It hits everybody and, and it brings everybody to the same level. Um, and so it was just kind of an interesting parallel that I, I sort of found myself pondering while I was hiking, I guess. Um, yeah. So from there, let's see. I have some notes. Um, it rained for days, rained, rained for days. I'm like, so in Colorado, um, it'll rain and you'll tell people, don't worry, it'll only rain for a couple hours and then it'll go away, right? Afternoon thunderstorms, like Robbie said earlier. So you just like hunker down or you don't, depending on where you're at. You just keep walking through it and then the rain goes away. The rain did not go away for like five and a half days, six days. Um, and hiking in the rain is like the biggest morale killer ever. Um, 
you're never dry. Nothing's ever dry. Like rain gear only holds up so much. And at some point you end up sweating so much that you're soaking your clothes anyway. Right. Um, like pit zips only do so much. <laughs> um, and all your gear ends up wet and everything is soaked through. Like, I mean, I was pretty well prepared for rain. Um, and I have a great tent and I had like all my, um, my sleeping bag and stuff was all in like plastic liners. So that stuff stayed dry, but it's just like day after day. You, after a while, like there's not even enough sunshine to dry your tent in the morning. Um, and you're slogging through like creeks instead of trail. And, you know, it's like up to your ankles in some places and you're still marching up hills and down hills. And it was just, it was hard. It was a really hard five days of just constant rain I met a couple of guys who were like we're going home can't do it this is ridiculous I'm like please just hold out it's gonna stop I promise it doesn't rain here this much (laughs) (laughs) but it did and that was brutal and it was hard and that's another one where you're like do I really want to be out here is this really what I wanted to be doing and then you just sit there and you're like this is this is my life this is what I have chosen for myself (laughs) you know (laughs) and you're like um but Anyway, I made it through all of that, um, and I made it to Twin Lakes and got a resupply in Twin Lakes, and that's like the beginning of the West Collegiate, right? So it's also kind of where Hope Pass is at, and that was my big thing that that I wanted so badly was just to to go to Hope Pass, um, and so I start hiking up. My, you know, I leave Twin Lakes and I start hiking up to the base of Hope Pass and it's up. It's it's a big up. Um and some chick passes me and she's like, you know there's a run a run here tomorrow, right? I'm like, I have no idea what day it is. No, I don't know that there's a run here tomorrow. And she's like, oh, okay, well it's the I can't remember Robbie's gonna know. It's the Leadville one hundred. Yeah. Leadville one hundred. So so the Leadville one hundred was happening that day. I was hiking Hope Pass on weekends. Um <laughs> I didn't even know it was a weekend to be perfectly honest. But she's like, yeah, it's it's a trail run. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I have no idea what this means, right? I am not an ultra runner. So I'm like, I don't understand. And then she's like, they're starting in Leadville. I'm like, okay, well, they're like four days back, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just there. It's going to be a while before I see those folks. And she's like, no, they'll be here by like eight or nine in the morning. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Um, so I was like, how many people are we talking about? And she's just like, lots I'm like okay I don't even know how to handle this so anyway it's Friday night I get up to the base of Hope Pass and um there's llamas everywhere or alpacas yeah right everywhere (laughs) there's alpacas I'm like okay there's there's tents everywhere I'm not expecting this because I had not been like in a tent city the whole time I'd been hiking um Anyway, I find a little place to put my tent and like I, I go, you know, I set everything up and then I go like to find a bush to pee behind and I and then I'm looking up and there's this like alpaca staring at me while I'm trying to Oh my god. <laughs> it was a very interesting experience and they would just like walk by and stare at you. Um and I'm mean, like I've been around some alpacas, but it was still just weird. And very, very busy bustling, all these amazing people that are setting up to be support for the runners that I did not even understand where I was or what was going on um I was just down at the base of Hope Pass I was going to get there in the morning that's all I knew and then I knew that I needed to hike as fast as I possibly could to get to the other side so that I wasn't in the runner's way um 
So anyway, I made it up to the top of Hope Pass. It was hard. Um, it was getting cold. I actually woke up to ice on my tent that morning. Um, and I had been cold all night long. There had been coyotes like howling and yipping all around. And I don't know if they were more interested in the alpacas or in me, but it is a little spooky when you can tell that your tent is like surrounded by coyotes, right? So I just barely slept. Um, and then I hiked up in the morning. So it was, I was maybe a mile down, maybe two miles down from the base of Hope Pass, but I did it. I got to the top. Um, and it was hard and it was like super, it was just a super emotional hike because I knew that I was going to like this place that I had, had wanted to go so badly. Um, and I got up to the top and when you get to the top of a mountain pass, it's like the most amazing experience. Like you get there and you look out and you can just, you can see this whole new set of mountains. It's, I, I can't even describe what that feels like, but it's incredible. It's like, you can just see the whole world stretching out in front of you. And I got up there um, and I just like, it was like this whoosh, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like everything I had been carrying for the longest time, just all released at once um and I was sobbing like I just like sat down and dropped my pack and I was just bawling um and I think maybe like at that moment I let out all of those emotions that I'd been holding and I didn't know how to how to carry and how to you know process um so anyway I I sat there for longer than I needed to because, you know, there's a race going on. Got to hurry. <laughs> um, and I just, at that moment, I started walking down and I was like, I have gotten everything out of this trail that I need to get out of this trail right now. Um, I didn't need a single thing more from it. I got everything I needed. At at some point, and I think this happened on the, the hike down to the next road, I processed the death of my dog in a way that I could live with. And that kind of, it started out as like, um, I wouldn't be sober if she hadn't died. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I might still just be drinking and muddling along through life and, and happy that I still had a dog, but my life sober is amazing. Like I have self-worth now and I, I've never had self-worth. I've never liked who I was and I'm absolutely in love with myself now, which I don't mean that in a cocky way, but I just mean <laughs> that in an, I don't hate myself anymore kind of way. Um, and I have like confidence that I can do things and I've stopped being a perfectionist and I've stopped people pleasing. I've become a person that I really like and I, I'm living a life that I love. And I wouldn't have that if hope hadn't have died. Um, and so like it slowly turned into some kind of sense of gratitude and I don't know if that makes sense but it I think allowed me to I don't know process her memory in a way that was healthy and good instead of always just so so sad um and so that was like the the big culmination of that 250 miles was just the release of I got what I needed from this trail um, any more than that was just not necessary. I missed my kid. I wanted to come home. I was done. And I decided at that moment that I was just going to be a section hiker <laughs> and I was okay with it. Um, so I hitchhiked from there to a road where somebody could come pick me up. And that's what I did. Um, but 
Yeah, yeah. Without that dog, I would still be in like this deep, horrible, miserable hole of sadness. Um, and, you know, like my my goal now is very much to share hope with other people that it can get better, that it's worth doing this, right? Like that's turned into my mission and it sounds, I'm sure it sounds cliche, but, um, you know, I did, I never named that dog. That dog came to me with the name Hope. Um, and that's very much turned into into what my passion is, is sharing hope with other people that are still struggling with addiction, um, that life is worth living and that it can be um, so much more than what they can even imagine right now. So in so many ways, that dog, even though she only lived for four years, and even though I only had her for two of those years, her life and then her death have affected me profoundly and have allowed me to affect other people um, and so it makes it something that I can at least live with. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the, that, that's like the, the, you know, the high point of my whole Colorado trail journey. I did go back, um, I hiked another hundred, 150 miles, something like that this year. Um, and it was another, you know, a wonderful experience. I know now that I have to go for a really long hike once a year alone with my thoughts. I need to be gone for a couple of weeks. I need to be in the woods where there's not all the busyness and the other stuff and the people and whatever. Like, I just need to reconnect with myself and like realign my soul. And that is just a part of who I am now. So um, yeah, it's just become, just become a part of me. So I don't know, every year now it's, you know, one or 200 miles and, um, and that's what I do. Did you end up finishing the Colorado Trail? I have not finished it yet. I was actually thinking I might this year. I was like kind of like on the borderline. I didn't quite have enough time this year, but um, the weather got really, really bad. So we're looking at like so I hiked, I hiked up to Lake City, um, and from there, actually for like the first several miles before Lake City. And then for the first many miles after, like 20 miles, maybe a little more, um, you're above tree line. There's no bushes. There's no nothing. There's no way to get down from tree line. And I was looking at a weather forecast that was like 70% thunderstorms every single day for the rest of the week. So I decided to go ahead and call it there <laughs> because, and part of it is that section after you leave Lake City is like the prettiest section of the Colorado Trail, right? I didn't want to be running it we all know I don't really run so let's be realistic but um I didn't want to be stressed and miserable and just trying to get it over with I wanted to really go enjoy it so I'll probably I'll go back next year and I'll do that last section it's maybe another 100 miles um but I want to go when I can really enjoy it and not be like there's one section in the guidebook or in the there's gut hooks the app I don't know if you guys use stuff like that but there's an app for the Colorado Trail and people can leave comments. And there's one comment in there when you're on one of these above tree line places that's like, when you get to mile 369.7, there's a slight dent in the ground where you could huddle and not be the tallest thing out there for miles. I'm like, that's the kind of thing. Like, okay, that does not sound like a nice time to me at all. Um, and so anyway. Yeah, I did. I, I can't remember if it was 100, 150 miles this year. I just I just walked. But um, it was wonderful and it was beautiful and it was all the things that Colorado is. It was hard. It was hard as hell. Um, 
but and it gets harder and harder the further you walk <laughs> so um but yeah it was it was good so I have to ask, did any runners pass you on your way down from Hope? Yes. So I actually, <laughs> um, I got to see the first three or four runners um, as a, just about when I got down to the bottom of Hope Pass. Um, I saw them. So I just got off the trail and was a little bit in awe of what they were doing. Um, but mostly I just tried to get out of the way and get down. So I wasn't, in any, I didn't, I didn't want to be like overtaken by a hundred people. I had no idea what to expect. So, but um, yeah, I did. They, they were the, I don't remember what time of day it was. And it's just amazing that anybody can run over hope pass because like, for me, it's just an absolute slog. <laughs> it's still yeah, a slog. Def <laughs> yeah. Definitely those front runners are running up and down usually on hope pass. Yeah. It was just incredible. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was super cool to get to see that. And then when I went back to Twin Lakes, um, that's where my friend picked me up. And of course there's like so much traffic, right. That's like a major hub for where everybody's at. Cause all the runners come right through there. And I was like, Oh my God, I was not expecting any of this. <laughs> yeah. Twin Lakes is, so it's mile 40 on the way out. And that's like the, one of the, probably the biggest aid station they have. It's right in the town of Twin Lakes. Then on the way back, um, they can pick up a pacer there and it's 60 miles. So they got 40 miles back to Leadville. So okay. that's like, that's the biggest aid station on the course. Um, as you saw, that whole town turns into a big giant party. They, yeah. Yeah. It's quite ridiculous. Did it was you, crazy. Where did your, how, where did your friend park at? Because I've been up there many years and I've had to walk miles. Oh, to to I just told her to drive through town and I would be there. And oh, so perfect. she picked me up off the road. Yeah. <laughs> I sat there and I ate like an entire bag of Sour Patch Kids and waited for her to show up. <laughs> did you go yeah. to the food truck that was out there? Oh my God. I went to, there's like that. What is that food truck called? Um, Something barbecue. I just remember like the most amazing um, like fries yeah <laughs> yeah that was that was they were so good well and by then i was like i was hungry i was finally eating right so for the first like week of a through hike i just don't eat um and that has happened with every single one of these hikes so i know that's just something about me but like you know for breakfast i'll eat like one oatmeal packet and for lunch, I will like have to force down a tuna packet and maybe a handful of trail mix or something like that's all I can manage. And by dinner time, I don't even bother cooking because I cannot put more food in my body. Like I just don't want it. I can't do it. And I'm too tired to like go to the trouble of cooking for food that I don't really even want anyway. Um, but by the time I got to that food truck, I was starving <laughs> and I ate all the food. You don't yes. hike with Skittles? Um, I do hike with Skittles and I hike with Sour Patch Kids. You know, <laughs> Robbie knows that I love Skittles. Um, when I quit drinking, I ate my weight in Skittles. Um, I still have a Skittles problem. Yeah, but um, that's not a yeah. bad problem to have. <laughs> it's a lot better than having an alcohol problem. I'm just yeah. gonna say. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't cause nearly as many regrets. Um, so, yeah, but so it's yeah. funny you ended at Lake City which there's another famous race 
this starts in Lake City, the San yeah. Juan solstice. Yep. And it's usually around summer solstice, so do a little after that. <clears throat> and then also the Hard Rock 100 has an aid station right there on Lake City. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of runs. I mean, it's the San Juans, right? Once you get into there and then everybody runs, there's all kinds of different trails through the San Juans for sure. There was one section this last, this, just this year that I did. Um, so I met these, these two gals while I was hiking. Um, and I, I turned into a much different hiker this year. Like I was tired midday. So I set up my tent and I took a nap at lunchtime for like two hours. It rained and I like just let it rain and then I got up and I finished hiking and and I just became a much more relaxed hiker this year which was great I did a lot like lower mileage um and I enjoyed it a lot more so I think that's okay like I don't have to kick out 20 miles in a day right um but anyway I met these two girls who were like what'd you just do with during that rainstorm and I was like oh I took a nap <laughs> um anyway <laughs> that's about all I knew of them we passed each other a couple times here and there and then I didn't see them for days um, and then I had this day while I was out there that just sucked. You know how some days just suck? Like the moment I woke up, it was rainy. Everything was wet. Packing up wet gear sucks. Um, I was walking through wet forests. So my clothes were all wet because, you know, just all the leaves and everything. And the, the trail was shitty. And it was like I tripped and I like twisted my ankle a little bit. And it was just not a fun hiking day. And I was miserable. And I was like, why am I even out here? It was raining. And I just hated everything that was my life at that moment. And so at lunchtime, I put up my tent. And I parked it and I was like, okay, I'm putting myself in a timeout. I don't know if I'm going to stay here all night or if I'm just going to take a nap, but I need a timeout, right? I was getting ready to do four huge passes in a row. Um, and I was like, you know, if I climb to the top of that first pass, there's a road. I could just hitchhike out of here and I could be done. I don't need to do the rest of this. This sucks. Anyway, those three girls showed up and um, they were like, hey, do you mind if we camp here? And then they they realized who I was. And so we sat and talked that night for, I don't know, a, a good few hours, just sat there around camp talking and just like all agreeing that this just sucks. Like it's just a, a miserable part of the trail. It had been a miserable day. You know, you have these huge climbs coming up. You're exhausted. Nobody's attitude was good. And it made me feel so much better to just sit there and like, bitch, with other people who felt the same way. And I'm like, I woke up the next morning and I'm like, I can do this. I will be okay. I can make it to Lake City. It was like a few more days. It wasn't that far, you know? But um, but just sitting around and like commiserating made a huge difference in my attitude. And, you know, going back to parallels of sobriety, sometimes all you need is just to sit around with other people who get it, who have been there, and who also agree that this just sucks. Um, that there's just crappy times and you feel better for it, right? Yeah. There's nothing yeah. anybody can do, but you feel better for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a, a neat experience. And 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 the reason I thought of that girl is because she's done some of those long runs, um, which is why I thought of her. But yeah. It just, it just reminded me too, because there's another race that runs on the Colorado Trail right there, the High Lonesome. Um, you come off of Monarch and you get on the Colorado Trail and run it all the way to Princeton. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> um, good thing you didn't run into that one, too. <laughs> right. So what I did experience this time, though, was the, the Monarch Crest Trail. Um, 
is a really, really popular mountain biking Bike, area. Yeah. And they're like, don't go to Monarch Crest on weekends. I was there on a Saturday. Mm. This is just my luck. This is how my life goes, apparently. So you're walking and like every 15 steps you have to get off the trail so a biker can go by. Like it's packed, just absolutely packed with mountain bikers. And then there's also motorcycles allowed on that section of trail. So you've got motorcycles coming towards you or coming up from behind you, mountain bikes going all different directions. And then there's parts of that trail where it's like, it's two feet wide and it drops right off. Like there's no space for anybody. There was like one point where I was sort of clinging to a tree, trying to get off of the trail for this motorcycle to go by. And he was like, just yelling at me to get out of his way. And like, that was a rough day. Uh, most of like 99% of the mountain bikers were so kind and so polite and there were a couple of them that were just awful and they kind of ruin it for everybody else yeah yeah that uh I've rode the monarch crest and you get a shuttle from Salida to the top Mm -hmm. so you just ride all down then you get on the rainbow trail I don't know if you're familiar with the rainbow trail it goes all the way into it goes almost all the way into Salida okay and you can that's another huge mountain bike trail uh the rainbow trail is 100 miles long oh okay it it ends over in the sangre de cristos okay um but when we rode that on a saturday morning i bet you when we got up got dropped off at the top of the monarch pass there was 100 mountain bikers just getting ready to go yeah, that's exactly. That. That. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I experienced on a Saturday. Um, it was brutal. Like it just, it's a, a pretty section of trail. Um, part of it is anyway. Yeah, and it just kind of ruined it for me. <laughs> so the farthest I've gone on the Colorado Trail is to Monarch. Um, okay, I, I haven't done from the Burn area to Leadville. Oh, okay. That part is hard. I've rode. There's a big mountain bike area over there called Buffalo Creek. I've rode and there's a bunch of races over there that I've ran. Um, but I haven't done that section. So I've done from Waterton to the firehouse. Yep. So I've done that section. Okay. And then I've done from uh, Fish Hatchery area of Leadville. Okay. All the way to Monarch. Nice. Did you do West Collegiate? Yes. Nice. Then I've done, there's a race over over out of Buena Vista, Buena Vista, excuse me, for all the people that are going to yell at me. Um, (laughs) Buena Vista. It's spelled Buena, but you pronounce it Buena. And there's signs all over that tell you how to pronounce it. I can't remember the lady that named it that. But, you know, know. Buena Vista, you know, pretty view or whatever. Then for some reason, she said she pronounced it Buna. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, there's a Collegiate Peaks 50 miler and it's all on the east side. So I've been over on the east side and that section is hard because it's more like desert than the other side, the east side. Yeah, the east side is very dry. And it's very forested, so you don't, like, you're doing all this climbing, and there's absolutely no reward for it. There's no views. You're just, 
trudging along going up and up and up and like you think you're about to call like you know crest something and there's going to be this amazing view and there's like not um <laughs> yep <laughs> it just over and over again on the east collegiate it was not a fun hike it's not a pretty hike it's not something i would probably do on purpose again um yep. that section that you haven't done the between the burn and and leadville so um you've got like a bunch of passes in there right like i can't yeah. remember you get kenosha pass and georgia pass and it's just like pass after pass after pass so like it it warms you up with that long burn area that just is like a whole section of suck and then you start getting into all of those passes but that's when i was like oh now i see what i'm getting myself into <laughs> um and it, they were hard i mean some of them were bad and some of them weren't terrible but then you hike down into breck um Breckenridge Frisco yep and I resupplied there and then the hike out you basically hike straight the fuck up this mountain <laughs> like there's you can so you look at it right like I, my, my thing that I like to do at night in my tent is I like to look at the elevation profile for the day ahead <laughs> oh no just to psych oh, myself no. out so I know what's coming right so I have something to dread um, and I'm like, I'm staring at this definitely going to be the hardest climb that I've done up until that point. Right. I know it's going to be brutal. And so I'm laying there in my tent. I'm like, there are so many people that just jump on the gondola in Breckenridge and ride it over the top down into copper and then just keep going on their merry way. And I'm like, wow. I could do that. I know that like, and I was like, I, I didn't hike very far in that night. Cause I'm like, I, I hiked like three miles in. So I didn't have to make a decision. Cause I'm like, I could just walk three miles out and jump on the gondola. It was like, I was torn there for a while because that was a brutal hike up over the top. And I was so glad that I did it after I did. <laughs> uh, I bet. Cause I, I know what you're talking about you. Cause you can see, you can see the top of, I think it's a uh, oh, I want to say like peak, peak nine or something like that. I can't remember. I think it's peak nine, but you can see it from Breckenridge. Yeah. Well, I think it like it's between peaks four and five, right? Is where you crest. Is it? Um, I think so. If I remember correctly, but it's been a long time. Um, but yeah, you can see it, you know, it's there and you're like, Oh my God. And you're like, you just, you know, it's going to suck the next day. Um, and <laughs> it did, it was really, really hard. And I got passed by so many people. Um, but I made it, I got over it. I was pretty proud of myself. So do you have any, you're going to go back next year and finish the Colorado trail. Is yeah. there any other, any other trails that have your interest? I have no idea yet. I haven't made it that far. I'm always looking at long trails. There's a trail where you can walk across England. Um, it's like something wall. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I would love to do that. Like that's kind of there as maybe the next one. It's only like a hundred miles, I think. Um, so it's not super big, but I would like to do that. But there's so many trails. I would love to go to a different country and hike. So BCT or Upper Washington Trail doesn't have anything? No, I'm like, I, the, I, I would love to do the JMT. If I could ever get the permit to do the JMT, I would love to do that section of it. Um, but there's no part of me anymore that wants to hike like major thousands of miles um all at once and i mean i've seen enough of california i lived there when i was a kid like i've seen enough of california it's it's pretty 
but I don't know that it's worth devoting, you know, that much time and energy to when there's places I'm more interested in, I guess. That makes sense. So since I'm not a crazy long distance hiker and I'm just like a little bit of a long distance hiker. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. There's lots of cool trails out there. So for this next year, when you go finish, is there anything you're going to change any gear or. I don't think so. If I really decide that I need to and want to and feel like spending the money, I might buy a slightly lighter weight sleeping bag. Um, or I might buy a pack that weighs less. I carry an Osprey pack right now and I love it. It's so comfortable, but they're heavy. They weigh a lot <laughs> compared to like the ultralight packs, um, but I'm never going to be an ultralighter. I just, I watched one kid set his tent up or not, I'm not going to say tent. It doesn't deserve that. Um, he's set himself up to camp. And I mean, his camp was virtually a triangle shaped tarp strung between some trees with half of a sleeping pad underneath him. And like, a, a, it wasn't even a sleeping bag. I mean, it, it wasn't even a quilt. It was like, it, there was not much there. And that's how he slept. I'm like, <laughs> I would not be sleeping if that's what I was trying to do. Um, I just couldn't stop thinking about the bugs that would be like crawling on me. So I'll never be an ultralighter. I love my creature comforts. I love my too big tent. But yeah, I might buy a lighter sleeping bag. Or sleeping bag. <laughs> uh, so... What is there anything embarrassing that's happened to you out on the trail? Embarrassing, not really. Nothing. I mean, I for a while I got really <laughs> embarrassed every time I got passed by somebody, especially if they were like 80 with a pacemaker. <laughs> um, but I got used to that. Um, my trail name is Turtle, um, for good reason. I hike very slowly, I just embraced that this year. Um, embarrassing, no, I don't think so. Like, we've had some close calls. Um, but no, I don't think I've ever actually been embarrassed. Well, it could be with yourself too. It doesn't have to be other people around. I don't think so. No, there's gotta be something. <laughs> Come on. There has to be something. I'm trying to think. Um, it seems like something spooked me and I can't remember what it was like a rabbit or something. And I ended up screaming. <laughs> no i know what it was um okay so this was like actually the first time i hiked the, the, so that first little shakedown hike um i've been walking through like open range open desert kind of area so pretty exposed and there was a lightning storm which is never a comfortable place to be um and so i was just walking like with my head down like trucking along as fast as i could to try to get to where there were some trees you know um and there's lightning all around me and anyway, like the rain and the lightning finally stop. And then this rabbit runs in front of me. But like I was so spooked already from all the lightning and everything that I did scream like a girl because <laughs> of a rabbit. Um, but that's like the only I mean, if anybody had been there, I'd have been mortified. Um, but I don't think there's really anything horribly embarrassing that's happened to me. I'll, I'll try. I will. Yeah, I'll try really hard to get embarrassed on this next one, and then I'll come back and tell you my stories. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. So we always like to ask our guests what kind of gear you use. So you can, you know, we didn't go into what you ate, but you could, uh, you know, tell us your favorite piece of gear, pieces of gear, I guess. Um, what you ate, stuff yeah. you can't live without. 
Um, yeah, so I carry um, an Osprey 65 liter pack and my big Agnes, I can't remember what it's called. It's a big Agnes tent that's two person. Um, and I love it. And I have a climate sleeping pad, which is super cheap, um, but works great. And I don't have any complaints about it. And I have a Marmot Trestles 15 degree sleeping bag, um, which is overkill for most people, but I sleep cold. So I have to take something that's going to keep me warm. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I'm down to like very little as far as gear. I do not take anything extra. I do take a teeny tiny set of watercolors that's about the size of an Altoids can um, and a journal and a pen and a pencil so that I can draw and paint and journal while I'm out there. Those are important to me. So it's worth the extra weight. Um, and I hike in trail runners because... I don't know, because my feet do better if I do. Um, and then every so often, somebody will tell you, you can't hike in trail runners. You have to hike in boots. They should come up above your ankles. And you nod and smile. Um, <laughs> and Which brand uh, do you wear? Which brand do I wear? The, the listeners are going to want to know. They're like, oh, my gosh, what is she wearing? <laughs> I know. I feel really bad. They're Solomon. Oh, They're okay. Solomons. That's okay. what they are. I've I've worn out three pairs of those now. This is my fourth pair. Um, and I do love them. I couldn't tell you. I want to say they're like speed cross or something is, is yeah. maybe what they are. Yeah. They're purple. They're horribly ugly. I don't like the way that they look at all, but they don't hurt my feet. I have really bad plantar fasciitis. Um, so those shoes plus all of the right inserts and insoles. And I was not miserable while I was hiking. So yeah. And then food. Um, when you get into town, to it, when you decide to resupply, just showing up in towns um, where they maybe don't have great outdoor gear selections, like fair play or whatever, just that, there's just not a lot there. So you just go to a grocery store. And I mean, I live on Pop-Tarts and like instant oatmeal. Kodiak makes instant oatmeal that's got extra protein. It's like 12 grams of protein per little packet, which is so much better than Quaker. So <laughs> I eat those. Um, lots of tuna packets, lots of string cheese. Um, and then I get like those Lipton nor pasta sides or rice sides or whatever. Um, and that's what I eat for dinner almost every night. Ramen, some ramen was really good on this hike. Um, I did discover like the first hike that I did or maybe the second hike that I did. Yeah. Like the, the big one where I did hope pass all of a sudden after like day five, I couldn't eat tuna anymore. I could not stomach it. I couldn't get it down. I like hated tuna. Um, <laughs> I just, and, and that's what I had packed for myself. Right. So I ended up not eating very much. And then I bought like a bunch of peanut butter and jelly packets instead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, whatever works. Pretty simple stuff, though. I mean, you just get whatever you can find in the grocery store and make it work. So the second question we always ask is, you know, we're trying to grow our platform and get new new people on here with different stories. Who should we have on our podcast next from your network? Um, so this isn't somebody from my network necessarily. It's not somebody that I know personally, but I could get you in touch with her. Um, so... She, her, I don't know her real name. Her trail name was Person Irresponsible, and she wrote a book called Everything You Ever Taught Me, and she hiked the PCT. Um, she's also sober. 
And so the whole book kind of, she's hilariously funny, um, like laughed till you cry funny. Um, but the whole thing kind of brings together all those parallels of hiking um, and sobriety. And she just does it in a brilliant way. But I could actually probably get you in touch with her. Um, and the other person is my friend Jack who is super cool and super adventurous and hunts and hikes and does all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's sober. So um, yeah, I can get you probably in touch with both of them if you really want to. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk offline and get it figured sure. out. So we'll give you a few minutes to, you know, talk about your podcast, whatever else you want, where people can follow you, find you, your recovery coaching, any of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am one half of Through the Glass Recovery podcast, and we talk about um, all things sobriety and addiction recovery related. We have like a roundtable discussion with four or five people talking about all kinds of different topics. So it's a little bit different than your typical sobriety podcast where most of the time people just come on and tell their stories. Um, we tried to kind of give it a different angle. But anyway, you can find it on any listening platform spotify apple google all of all of the places um and then our website is through the glass recovery.com and we are on facebook and instagram and tiktok and linkedin and all of the places um at through the glass recovery for the most part and then if you want to follow my personal instagram account which is sort of becoming active it is at create a life so full because I always say create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol nice I like it well Julie thanks for your time and coming on and tell us your story yeah thank you so much for having me it's been great yeah it was a lot of fun Justin happy birthday again thank yes you. happy birthday <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> all right well thanks again Julie yeah thank you guys Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, leave us a review, a like, share it with your friends uh, so that more people can hear Julie's story. I uh, appreciate you listening. Thank you.